Yeah, Father, we just thank you um, for how good you are. We just thank you for your grace in the cross and your love and that you're our King. And yeah, Lord, we just ask that you would speak um, tonight through your word. Um, yeah, align us to your purpose. Um, just so this next little bit, Jesus, we just ask um, for your spirit to be speaking to us, um, speaking to our hearts, um, revealing your truth and your love. And we just pray, God, you keep us um, and protect us and surround us in this time and just say your, your will be done. Um, as we just look at your word. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Cool. So, hey, everyone. We are going to continue this series we started last week called Revolutionary Resting. Um, this idea of rest, which is so important in, in the Bible, but in kind of a lot of ways is kind of really lacking in our world, in that we said last week often we find that we're either trying to achieve, we're kind of like doing stuff, working or trying to fix stuff or trying to make life better, or if we're not doing that, we might be kind of consuming or we're distracted. We're on our phones or on Netflix or YouTube. We're like we're just, there's, there's, there's two difference and often there's no rest. And actually Jesus promises to come to him and find rest, that God actually wants us to be people who are at rest in a, in a, in a, in a lot of ways a restless world. And we said this was kind of like the main point last week, was that our God is not a slave driver. He's not, he's not this demanding kind of just like never satisfied perfectionistic parent um, that we just have to work really hard to make sure he's happy. It's not, he's not like that. He's a compassionate and gracious father. He has a heart for us and he wants to give the gift of rest. He's at rest and he wants to invite us into his rest, especially to people who are tired and weary. And that's sort of where we went last week in this idea of the gift of rest, that Jesus offers a gift of rest, to rest in God, that we're designed to be at peace and at rest in God. So, but maybe sort of last week, we were trying to kind of de- derail or dismiss the lie that says that God's like a slave driver, or God's just demanding, or God's just to be afraid of, or God just wants us to work hard. That's not true. He's a compassionate father. But there's another danger in a sense that we go too far the other way, and we tend to end up thinking of God like a teddy bear. He's just this soft, cuddly thing that like we just have a nap and have a sleep and have the teddy bear and, and then we feel better and it's all good. And we kind of can almost go too far and, and, and then just sort of God becomes this person that exists just to make us feel good or that exists just to meet us and give us whatever we want. He's kind of like a Santa Claus God, a teddy bear God. And that... Is, is not true at all. And what we've just been singing about is actually what's true. He's not, God is not just this, like, he's compassionate and gracious father. He's not this soft, cuddly teddy bear. He's actually a king. Like a, a, bigger, a better biblical description is that he's a lion and that he's good. But he, he actually is, is powerful. He has authority. He, he is the creator. And yes, he's compassionate and gracious and kind, but we don't reduce him down to this sort of just thing that we can use like a vending machine. But we respect and honour that he's actually God. And this is good because the truth is that we need rest. But we don't just need a teddy bear and a nap. Like if, if, you're, if you're needing rest and someone just offers you that, you know that that's not going to cut it. Not in this world. Because in this world the issue is not just that we're a bit tired and we just need a bit of sleep and we just need a holiday. Like that's not the issue. The issue is that we're actually at in a full-on battle all the time. Everybody, everyone here tonight is in probably multiple battles right now in life. And we don't have to go overseas to be 
at war, like maybe physical, physical war, like in an army or like bombs and stuff like that. But actually, for all of us inside right now, we, we are facing battles. Maybe they're health battles, maybe they're relationship battles, maybe they're, they're work, finance, study battles. But the ultimate battle is actually the battle to find rest and trust and follow this God. And actually there's a spiritual battle that we're in. And we need this God who is king, who's powerful, who's going to lead us to a place of rest and peace in him. And actually, it's not that, yeah, we just sort of need to rest in a teddy bear. Actually, it's more that we're on a journey with God. And it's more like being on like a a hike. And and you're in like this place you don't understand and it's difficult. But there's there's a guide, a mountain guide who can actually lead us to the place of safety, who can lead us in the in the way of life and peace, and rest. And what's needed then is to trust the guide. If you're on in a mountain somewhere, you don't know what to do, but there's a guide there, an experienced mountain guide, and he says, this is the way you need to trust me, you need to follow me, you need to do what I say, this is the way that you will be okay. There's a need to actually trust and follow and believe. And that might be hard, that might be scary, but it's actually the only way forward. And actually, it's a lot more like that. That yes, God gives us a gift of rest. There's a promise, even in Jesus, like we said last week, to come to him and find rest. But there's a need to believe him. There's a need to trust him. There's a need to receive it and follow this God who is king. So what we're looking at today is this idea that actually there's a battle around that. It's not as simple or easy as just getting a teddy bear and having a nap. There's a need to believe this God who is king and there's actually a battle that's going on in us and in this world that's actually against us being able to trust and believe and enter his rest. So you might think this is, you might be a bit confused. Like last week we talked about rest. Now we're talking about battles. But as we'll see, the biblical theme of rest has the language of battle around it, of, of struggle even, to enter and trust his rest. Not working, but that this idea of actually trusting God can be a battle. So what we're going to do is go through and look at some stories in the Bible where this, this happened. And it's, and it's pretty um, interesting because there's these people that we talked about last week that are God's chosen people, Israel, and they go to Egypt as slaves. And we talked about last week how they were under a slave driver, Pharaoh, who made them make bricks all day. They had no day off. And then God rescues them and he gives them rest and he gives them a promise of a promised land. So this is a, a, a nation and if you read through the book of Exodus, like God does powerful miracles. He does all these things to demonstrate that he's the true God. One of the most powerful miracles he does is as they're leaving, Pharaoh, the king who's the slaves under, just changes his mind and says, actually, no, I'm not going to let you go. And Pharaoh's armies come racing after them. And this, these people are stuck because there's this water there and there's nothing to do. And then God parts the water. He pushes the water back. They come through and, and God destroys this army that's been oppressing them and he rescues them. And they're like super happy. And they're like, God's done this amazing miracle. But then like just after that, they get thirsty and they don't have any water because they're in the desert. And they start saying, where's the water? I need a drink. There's nothing to drink. What are we going to do? How, am I, how are we going to survive? What's going to happen? It was better when we were back in Egypt, when we had water. We should go back to Egypt. And they st- they just, God has just done these amazing miracles. And they start complaining and actually don't believe that he's leading them to a place of rest and promise. 
And the story keeps going, and it gets to a point where God has promised them rest. He's promised them this land where they'll have their needs provided for, where where he'll protect them, he'll surround them. Because now they're in the wilderness, he's promised them this rest. And they get to the edge of it. They get to the edge of this promised land. And they send out some spies to go and look at what it's like. And 10 of them come back and they say, no, it's too dangerous. It's too hard. But only two of them say, yeah, we can go forward. God is with us. We believe him. He's made this promise. Let's go. But 10 of them say, no, we can't do it. And then that, that, the doubt and the, the, the complaining of that 10 spreads to everyone. And then they say this in Exodus, in Numbers 14, it says, all the Israelites grumbled. So like they did with the water, now they do it having to go into this promised land. They grumbled to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they said this, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So God has given them the promise of rest. He even gave them water when they complained. He's provided for them again and again. But these people just don't want to believe him. They say, no, we can't trust this God. It was better back in Egypt when we were slaves. We're going to go back. And God effectively says to them, okay, if you don't want to believe me, you, you won't receive the rest. And Moses asked God to forgive them, and he, God forgives them. But this is God speaking. The Lord replied, I forgive them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. These people who saw God's works, God's powerful works, they did not enter the promised rest because they wouldn't believe God. They, they, would, they doubted Him, they complained, and God showed grace and mercy again and again, but eventually it came to the point where they just, they're just people who don't believe Him, who don't receive His promise. And he, he causes them to go back to the wilderness. And this whole generation spent 40 years in the wilderness. God still provides for them. Eventually they all die and their children are the ones that go into the land. So there was this promise of rest, but they missed it because they didn't believe him. They didn't receive it. They didn't trust this God who is king. And in the same way, when we read the Bible, the, the way to read it in a lot of ways is to recognize that our story often is similar to their story. And in a lot of ways, we might face similar times when God has given us a promise, but there's a need to believe Him and trust Him and receive it. And there's a choice to believe and enter the rest or to miss out because of unbelief. This is what one author says, everyone comes in the Christian life once at least to Kaddish Barnea. That's where they were when this happened. On the one hand, the land of rest and victory. On the other, the desert wastes. In the balance quivering between the two is turned this way by faith, that by unbelief. Trust God and rest, mistrust Him and the door closes on rest to open wanderings, failure and defeat. That in many ways, the way that they face a choice to believe and receive God's gift of rest, we too face that choice. But this generation, they, did, they missed it. But the next generation did enter the land. They believed God. And actually, interesting, the two guys who said we can go in, they entered as well. They had faith and they, they received this promise. Um, 
so this, the, the people enter the promised land, and this is this, this rest that they experience. But we saw last week that the, the rest that was talked about was a sign pointing to something else. Because it's interesting, I'm going to read from Psalm 95, and there's this author, and he's talking about another rest. And it's like, why is that? Like, we just entered the land that they promised the rest, but he's talking about there's a greater rest of trusting God. But the interesting thing is he's saying, again, Israel's in danger. There's a need to believe it and not miss out because of unbelief. There's a psalm, and when you're reading the psalms, it's, it's, you could, in the context of this psalm, it's kind of like what we just did. It's like a worship service, and there's a worship leader, and the worship leader is calling people to worship God who is king. Psalm 95 is great. It's like, come, let us sing to God. Let us shout. Let us thank Him. Let's use music and song. It says, He's the great king above all gods. I'm just reading, just, just skipping over. The sea is His. He made everything. He's the creator God. He's the king. It says, come, let us bow down in worship as we sung before. He is our God. We're the people of his puzzle. Like this is like a worship gathering, calling people to worship and trust and follow this God who is so good. But then in Psalm 95, it changes really fast. And, and the, the person leading says, God is now going to speak. And, and God starts to speak. So it's like we're having worship here and like Rosie or Toby or someone's leading and then all of a sudden just starts speaking and it's the words of God directly. But the interesting thing is this is what God speaks. He says, today, the, 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 the psalmist is saying, today if you hear his voice and then God says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. God speaks and he reminds them of the people that didn't believe. That, that Massa and Meribah is where they had the water thing. And they, they, they complain, they don't believe, they don't trust this God. He says, do not be like them. They, they tried me, though they had seen what I did, they'd seen the works. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And it finishes. <laughs> That's the end of the psalm. It's this psalm of like call to worship and praise God. And then this warning. Don't be like that generation that hardened their hearts and they missed out. Don't harden your hearts to this God, but believe Him. Trust Him. Receive the gift that He has. So this, this, these people are in the promised land, but there's still a warning not to miss out on God's rest. That there's a greater rest. There's this, this, and again, pointing to Jesus and what he has achieved and this relationship of dependence and rest we can have. But, but this idea of entering God's rest, but what's required is faith. And again, their story, they're being warned in this context of the psalm and this, this worship meeting. And again, the context is we also, through the story, are warned. There's a gift of rest, but there's a need to believe. It says, in the same way, says the psalmist, you now are facing a choice. Either worship and serve this same God or run the risk of missing out on the rest which is promised you in return. It's that he's, he's a God, he is king, and there's a gift and there's a promise, but there's a need to trust and worship and rely and follow him like a guide who's leading to the safety. There's a need to trust and believe and follow the guide. So, there's, so Psalm 95 is basically talking about this, this thing that happened back here with this generation that didn't believe and missed out. And then it's interesting because then the story of the Bible goes on and Jesus comes and Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And then there's a generation of followers of Jesus. 
and people who believe Jesus, who enter his rest, who trust him, who follow him. But then towards the end of the New Testament, there's this book called the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is written to followers of Jesus, but they are starting to struggle. They have believed, they trust him, they've received the gift and the promise, but things are starting to get hard. It's starting to get harder to follow Jesus. It's starting to cost more. Maybe people are rejecting them. Maybe they're even losing their jobs. Maybe they're potentially, eventually even going to lose their life like Lot's did. And it's starting to get really hard. And the generation of Jesus followers are starting to be a bit like that other generation because they're starting to think, oh, maybe we should just bring it back a notch. <laughs> Like, maybe we should just kind of go back to how it was before we started following Jesus. Like, maybe we should just not be so strong on this because it's a bit dangerous now, it's a bit hard. Let's kind of just go back to when it was easy. And Hebrews is written to followers of Jesus like that. And he says, again, similar warnings. He says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says to do that. To say, actually, let's just kind of go back is actually to turn away. It says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Again, there's a deception. Let's just go back to Egypt. It's like, what are you saying? Like, like these people are not thinking straight at all. There's a deception that let's just pull back. Let's just kind of go the other way. But actually, it's a turning away from God. And they, they went down this path that missed it says, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firm to the very end. It says, we believe Jesus, but there's a need to hold on, to hold on in faith and trust him. And he is, this, this guy writing Hebrews is basically writing a sermon on Psalm 95, where, where there's this warning not to miss it, because he quotes it multiple times. He said, as has been said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He's saying to followers of Jesus, using the psalm in Psalm 95, don't be like those people who missed out because they didn't believe. They hardened their hearts. Don't be like them, but hold on and trust and follow. He says in Hebrews 4, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. He says, these, these people, this generation had good news proclaimed about a promised rest, but they didn't believe it. They didn't trust this God and they missed it. And he's saying, we also have had good news told us about Jesus, about who this God is, a promised rest. But if we just hear good news and don't believe it, it doesn't do anything. It, just just coming to church and just hearing a message or just just hearing about Jesus, it, it, it's just hearing. What's actually needed is to believe, is to trust, is to follow this God. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, this is in the promised land, God would not have spoken about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. It's God's rest. And the idea here is that we have rest in Jesus, like we said last week. But there's also even a further promise that God one day will bring full rest to the world and restoration. There's a new creation 
that God is working and one day it will all be, be put back to how it should be and restored. And there's, there's a promise of that. So there's, there's, yes, we have rest in Jesus, but we still look to that as well, the, the rest when God, where God rests and we enter that. Therefore, he says, make every effort to enter that rest. And this is not like do really good works to make God happy. This is not works. But it is saying effort and focus. There's a need to focus on Jesus, on holding on to him, on trusting him, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. These, these people didn't. They heard it, but then they grumbled and they complained and they doubted and they turned away and they missed it. And he's saying, don't be like that. Trust, believe, hold on, make every effort to stay holding on to Jesus. So we've seen that this generation of followers of Jesus are in danger of missing God's rest. There's a promise, but they're in danger of missing it because of unbelief. That there's this link between rest and faith. They go together. So we're seeing that there's this Exodus generation. They saw God's works, but they didn't enter the rest because of unbelief. Then there's a warning to the next generation or another generation in the promised land. Warning, not, don't miss out on further rest because of unbelief. And then followers of Jesus who are in danger of missing God's rest because of unbelief. There's this battle going on. This battle around trusting this God and following Him. And this is the idea today that actually we're all facing a battle. But the primary battle of our lives is the battle to believe and trust God and enter His rest and not miss out because of unbelief. There's actually a battle of faith. That it's not just we just need a nap and a cuddly teddy bear. And it's not just like intellectual, yes, I believe Jesus, like it's just an intellectual belief, but actually I'm not willing to trust him and rely upon him. There's actually a battle to be able to trust and follow and relate well to God. We see this through scripture and that's why there's such strong encouragements to hold on, to hold fast, to believe, to trust. But in a lot of ways, we don't really think that most of the time. Like we might say, yes, it's hard to trust God, but we don't really often think of that as the primary battle of our lives. We often actually make secondary battles primary battles. So we might be facing a battle today, like there's probably some of you got like an assignment due tomorrow or something like that. And it's like, there's a battle, right? Like maybe you have some significant health crisis going on right now. That's a battle, like intense battle. Maybe you have some relationship breakdown. That's a battle. Like maybe there's a real um, emotional or mental crisis or struggle. Um, that's a battle. Like, like we're all facing stuff all the time. But what we tend to do is focus on that thing, the health crisis, the relationship crisis, the emotional crisis, the assignment crisis, like, like financial crisis, like whatever. They're, and then we t- they're the things we tend to talk about with friends. They're the things we tend to focus on. And even the things we pray about, we want God to help with that battle. And that's not wrong. That's, that's good. And that's, that's fine. But often we make that the primary battle when it's a secondary battle. This guy, Larry Crabb, wrote a book. And, and in the book, it's called Connecting. He, he had a kidney stone. And he, um, they didn't know what it was, but he went in the ambulance. And the ambulance driver's asking all these questions. And they go to the hospital. And they're trying to figure it out. And it's just this intense interrogation because you need to figure out what's wrong. And then I don't think he needed surgery, but when, when there's like a problem with a health crisis, like you maybe even need to be cut open to deal with it. Like 
it's intense. There's an intense focus and, and dealing with the problem, particularly when there's, there's a problem and issue with health. Maybe it's when there's an emotional problem and you need to go to counselling and like fix it or deal with it or relational. But he said, with his was this health crisis, and he said, it's interesting, so much effort and energy went into figuring out what was wrong and fixing it. But he said, well, that kind of energy doesn't go into my relationship with God or dealing with the things that are blocking trusting him or following him or opening up and dealing with that. We, we put energy into that, but not into this. He says this, we have elevated psychological and personal problems to a position of top priority and in so doing have relegated the battle to relate well with God to secondary status. So personal problems we've said are most important. Relating well to God is secondary. It's still important in its own right and sometimes useful to fight against our personal struggles, but certainly not our most vital and immediately pressing concern. It's like we want God to help us with the health or with, with, the, with the finances, or with the assignment, with the friends, but actually it's the other way around. Yes, we, that's good, but there's a need to be able to trust God even when that thing doesn't work out, even when it doesn't get fixed, even when it's hard in the midst of it. How do we relate well to God regardless of the outcome? He says this, the core battle in everyone's life is to relate well to God, to worship Him, enjoy Him, experience His presence, hear His voice, trust Him in everything, always call Him good, obey every command, even the hard ones, and hope in Him when He seems to disappear. That's the battle the community of God is called to enter in each other's lives. That that's the core battle. It's not, it's not how do I deal with my emotional problems? It's how do I trust God no matter what I feel? How do I trust Him in the midst of feelings that don't make sense? It's not how do I just deal with my health problems? It's how do I draw close to God and worship Him even when my health is failing? How do I trust God and stop and rely upon Him even when I'm overwhelmed with commitments or busyness or relationships? It's, 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 the, it's the emphasis on relating well to Him first. And those other things are still problems but they, they, they take a lower form, a secondary problems. So the invitation tonight then is to engage with the core battle, to, to actually acknowledge. And, and this can be so helpful even. Like, like sometimes we can be consumed with an issue, we just want it to be fixed. Sometimes it can be helpful to say, well, actually, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is trusting God right now, is trusting God no matter what, is seeing what He's doing in the midst of it is relying upon Him even though I'm weak. That can, just recognising that can be really helpful. But there's a need to engage with that battle. And the thing is, like we're saying, it is a battle, but often we, the way we talk is that it's not. We just say, oh, just trust God. Like, just pray more. Just read your Bible. And it's like just giving band-aids to like gushing wounds. It's like, and because we talk like that, we don't think it's a battle, but it's a real battle. It's a struggle. There's a flesh and spirit battle in us to actually trust and rely upon God. And He's one, and we can have confidence. It's not that we need to be afraid, but we acknowledge that actually, yeah, there's still a battle going on. So there's a need to engage with the battle. It's interesting that, like we said, someone who has a health problem, that, that maybe something significant, will go to hospital and have someone use a knife and cut their body open and expose their body and their insides and figure out what's wrong and poke around and deal with it to fix it. Like, that's intense. 
like being fully cut open to, to, to deal with the issue. And, and you kind of think, well, no, nah, I'd rather not have that. <laughs> but we know that it's so serious that actually, no, we rather would have that. We rather would have that thing dealt with because it's so serious that it needs a serious response. And that's not comfortable. That's painful. That's difficult. That's hard. But it's so important that we're willing to go through that. And the core battle, there may be times as well where we need to engage with things that are not convenient or comfortable or easy. They're actually hard. Maybe even tonight, as you're hearing this message, this is a harder message. This is a message that actually is confronting and maybe uncomfortable and maybe difficult. But in the same way that a surgeon needs to cut sometimes, that the, the writer of the Hebrews, the letters of the Hebrews, then towards the end of this passage, starts talking about God's word as a sword that cuts. He says this, for the word of God is alive and active. The word of God is like God, the message of Jesus and the scriptures and the story of God. It's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word pierces. It can go right into the depths of us and expose where we're really at. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's side. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Sometimes God's Word will pierce us. It will open us. It will show us what's wrong and it will confront us. And I think that's not comfortable. Like, and it's like, no, surgery is not comfortable. But this is even more important. This is the core battle. The battle to relate well and trust Him. And, and maybe there's, there's something that's even piercing tonight. And that's good. There's a need to be open. And, and, and again, like we said, well, I'd rather not do that, but actually in the end, I would. And again, maybe I'd rather not have to deal with my relationship with God and where it's at, but yes, actually in the end, I would. It's going to be better to deal with it early than let it go on. But we see that this, this is not about condemning. Like a surgeon that cuts is not about hurting you. It's actually about healing. And God's Word, it might pierce in the core battle. But it's actually about bringing healing. This guy says, God's word is alive. And the purpose of the two-edged sword is always to cleanse and to heal. So maybe there's, there's a need to open ourselves up to others, to God in his word, by his spirit, and actually let him speak to stuff that's blocking this trust relationship. Speak to stuff that's getting in the way. Speak to the ways that we're maybe starting to say, hey, this is a bit too hard. Let's start to go back. Let him expose that so we don't go that path, but actually stay in this place of trust and faith. So we're saying the primary battle is to relate well to God, to believe, to trust and enter his rest, to live in this place of rest and not miss out because of unbelief. It's a battle that we're all fighting. And it's interesting because Jesus also fought this battle. He lived and he was tempted. The, the, the devil came and tempted Jesus three times and tempted him to not trust and believe God. But Jesus won the battle. He didn't give in. And he lived his life trusting and following his father. And then again, before he went to the cross, he's tempted to just give up. This is too hard going this way. But again, he didn't. He trusted and believed the father and went to the cross and had the victory. And Jesus, he has forgiveness and grace for us because we're all going to fail in this. We all have ways that we, we fall short in our faith and our belief. And because of what he's done on the cross, we can come to him and just trust him and, and believe him and turn back and receive forgiveness. 
But the, the issue is that we keep doing that, that we stay in this place of trusting Him, of coming to Him with our weaknesses and relying upon Him. So I'm going to finish up, but just, just three kind of responses to where you might be to, tonight and then we'll, then we'll sing a song to finish. Maybe tonight you're hearing this and actually, if you're honest, you, you kind of come to church and maybe do the Christian thing, but it's kind of just going along with the crowd. It's kind of just, I'll come along, I'll do the thing, like, that's good, God's all good, He's fine with me, that's fine. And this is actually saying, well, no, it's not just come to church and do the Christian. It's actually there's a need to believe Him. There's a need to trust Him. There's a need to rely upon Him in your heart. And this, this message maybe today is this. If you're hearing His voice today in this way and He's speaking, don't harden your heart against Him. Don't say, no, nah, it's okay, I'm just going to go back this way. Actually trust Him. Actually maybe come to that place of putting your faith in Jesus and relying upon Him and, 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 and trusting and receiving this gift. Or maybe you've kind of been going along for a while and, and you're following Jesus, but maybe you feel like, a bit like the Hebrew Christians and it's kind of like it's starting to get a bit hard. I kind of want to go back to where it was before, kind of like the good old days. It used to be easier. Let's kind of just take a, the shortcut. And maybe the message tonight is actually, no, don't do that. This message in Hebrews 3, don't make sure there's not a sinful, unbelieving heart that actually leads us to turn away. Like recognise that. And actually don't go that path. And maybe even language, like, our lang- like language is important with this. Like the, the Israelites, they it just started with complaining. It just started with saying, there's no water, I'm thirsty, what are we going to do? It's so hard. I wish we could just go back to Egypt. Actually, let's go back to Egypt. And they turn away from God. And I'm challenged by this this week, like just around language. Like it's so easy just to have language of complaint and grumbling. Saying, God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm going to do. Where are we going to get this? What are we going to do now? What's the future hold? Like, and actually slowly going to go around the path of doubt rather than using language of faith and say, I trust God. God is faithful. He's in control. He's reliable. He's good. We can trust. Like our language can actually really impact our heart. And lastly, maybe you're listening tonight and you're kind of just saying, yeah, that sounds great, but it's hard. <laughs> like it's hard to trust God. It's hard to actually rely upon Him. And that's kind of the point tonight. Like, yeah, it's a battle and we need to engage it together. But this is not something that we say like, okay, I'm just going to work really hard to trust God. It's actually something where we say, actually, God, I'm just going to put all my confidence on you. I'm just going to rely upon you completely. And there's this story in the New Testament where this guy comes before Jesus and Jesus is going to heal his son, but this guy can't really believe He's not really sure if he believes Jesus. So he just cries out in desperation and says, I believe, help my unbelief. It's this cry of saying, God, I'm just going to trust you with what I can trust you with and I trust you with what I can't trust you with. I'm just going to trust you with everything. And that, that's what this kind of faith is what we're talking about. It's not like we're going to work up some kind of faith. It's actually we put all our confidence in Him. We don't, it's not that we're going to try really hard to hold on. We're going to trust that He holds on to us and keep our confidence in Him. And maybe if today you're just saying it's so hard to believe God. We just, I just encourage you just to say, God, I believe you. Help my unbelief. Give me faith. Help me trust and rely upon you in this hard situation. Help me keep this primary battle centred on you. So I don't know where you're at with that tonight. I encourage you to engage with God, what He might be speaking, what He might be stirring. And if that's brought up stuff, please talk to someone else or come and talk to me or we can pray. Um, but if you guys want to come back up and we're going to sing... Um, just one more song to finish. And, and um, as we sing, I suppose 
there can be a, a freedom in acknowledging that yes, we're all fighting battles. Yes, there's issues going on. But the core thing is to trust and believe Him. And that means that ultimately He is the one that we need. And if we have Him, we have all we need, whether these other things work out or not. And that's actually a really good place to be. So just encourage you as we sing this last song, just to engage with God on that level. So maybe we could stand together um, and let's pray and then, then let's sing. So Father, we just thank you that you are a good and compassionate God. And we just ask, God, that we would be people who believe and trust you. God, yeah, you know our hearts. Everything is laid bare before you. You know exactly where we're at tonight, Father. Maybe, maybe we have put on a face. Maybe we've kind of can just, just sort of put on a show to other people, but we can't do that with you. You know exactly the state of our heart. You know exactly the state of our soul. You see everything. God, so there's no point in being fake with you because you know it all. So Father, would you give us courage tonight to be honest with you, to trust you, to cry out to you, to follow you and love you no matter what. So would you just meet us in this time, we pray in your name. Amen.